Hey everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Building It Up with Bertelsmann India's first growth focused podcast. I'm your host Ankur Variku and with me today are two individuals who I think would represent and reflect my definition of tenacity, of perseverance, of being absolutely at it and never giving up. Alok and Rajneesh, the co-founders of Exigo.com. Alok and Rajneesh met each other at IIT Kanpur, which is where they were graduating. And then they went to Amadeus, which is a very large global travel company, before somewhat going their way. Alok went to do his MBA at INSEAD, while Rajneesh continued to be the technologist. And then in 2007, they came back to India, and that's when they started Exigo. So what's today considered an overnight success is actually 12 years old. And their journey has been nothing but a lot of hardships, a lot of painful decisions, a lot of soul searching, and that's what we're going to delve in. Thank you so much, Alok and Rajneesh, for joining us on this podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. You guys first met each other in IIT Kanpur. Uh, did you have any sparks, any conversations back then that one day we will get together a startup? What was the thought of starting a travel company when it was somewhat, I would say, crowded or yeah. definitely competitive? But did you have something in mind that got you that hint or that conviction that So I think uh, initially, you know, we... Uh, we just wanted to start something of our own. It was not like, you know, we were fixated on an idea. Uh, and that discussion had been going on for almost a year. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, India was booming, so we wanted to be back here because we thought we were missing out on all the action because, yeah. uh, you know, Europe was growing at like single digit uh, point, single digit <laughs> rate of growth. And uh, that's how we ended up back here. And then once we were here, we started brainstorming as to what should we do figured out that uh, travel being uh, something we understood yeah. uh, and also because the Air Deccan uh, and all these new airlines that were coming up, yeah. uh, you know, had sort of proved that aviation would take off here, there were OTAs that just raised money. Um, we didn't want to build yet another OTA, that is something we were very clear about. Yeah, I mean, so one thing that was common was that both of us wanted to disrupt Amadeus first. That oh. was the first goal. Got it. It was too ambitious, too big. That is how we started. But when we came down here in India and we started looking at the ecosystem, yeah. we saw that there are a lot of low-hanging problems that we can actually solve rather than getting so deep on the you know supply side or ecosystem yeah. Uh, yeah. level stuff. So we started looking at user problems, which yeah. is all these new sites that came up, uh, five, six uh, low-cost carriers and then five, six OTAs were also there in the market. So we said, oh, you know, how about comparing all of them in one place? Which was basically Indians are deal hunters by nature. Yeah. And this is something we believe would definitely work here and it was solving a real problem, yeah. user problem. Exactly. So that's how we pivoted the idea from Amadeus Killer Amadeus to, to, to uh, price a, a price comparison engine yeah. for and, India. And was the focus early on just flights because that's where the price comparison was easiest? Yes. Yeah. There was no price comparison on trains. It was also because, you know, the flight user was already online oh, or, right. or some of them were already online because yeah. I think when we started there were 20 million internet users uh, yeah. in India back in 2007. We could meet all of them <laughs> if we wanted to. And, we wanted. <laughs> and they were the most evolved sort of, you know, like uh, desktop only. Correct. Um, so flight was a better fit, yeah. obviously, to start with back then. Um, and uh, soon we would branch out into you know hotels and other things that made sense over the next Correct. few years. 
Okay. Trains didn't happen till 2013. Yeah, till much later. Uh, well, we did something on trains uh, in the early days, but uh, I think it started making a lot more sense when mobile uh, became a thing because a lot of the users who didn't have access to internet, you won't expect somebody to buy a laptop or a desktop because it's too expensive for them. I think the bottom of the pyramid came online only, you know, 12, 13 onwards when the mobile phones started to come. And that's where we saw the opportunity. But I think the initial phase uh, was really interesting because when we launched this flight app, uh, everybody asked us like, how did you seed it, right? You know, how did you initially get all those users and how did you start growing? And that's my question as well. And go <laughs> so, you know, we, um, uh, we seeded it with like a small set of users, our own networks, right? right? Obviously, uh, that was the first thing. But the reason why it grew was not that network. The reason why it grew was that there was a lot of word of mouth. Yeah. So what happened is that we saw that India may the internet connection was a big problem. Sites were really slow. I mean, we saw some of the major airline and OTA sites. The home page used to take about 15 seconds to open. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we did something very clever. What we did is we found out the hosting services of all the uh, all these companies. Got it. Uh, all of them were in the west coast in the US. Yeah. So we took a server in the west coast right next to theirs and we started scraping them from there locally. So it was lightning fast and then we would have like a server just for the front end in yeah. India. Wow. So you just get the data from there and just serve it up on a simple, single page application. So our site would show comparison from like 10 different places Faster in less than 3 seconds Whereas individually these sites took like 15 seconds to just open the home page wow. and people like how are they doing it and this was happening from a desktop which was in our office under the table. Are you serious? On a DSL yes, internet, on a internet DSL connection. Internet connection. <laughs> we were giving investor presentation on this, right? So, so I would stay back make sure that nobody hits the server or the power cord so it doesn't go down. Uh, so it was quite crazy. That is, quite crazy. that is quite a story. And you know what, this, this story to me symbolizes what the Exigo story is all about. Like I, I would call you founders with insane level of tenacity and perseverance. Like you started in 2007. Yeah. Today people call you an overnight success, but you are a 12 year old overnight success. Right? And, and that is crazy. Right? It's just you've been consistently at it for so long with that conviction that very few people have. And you've done it in a way that you've controlled the pace like you literally called your own shots we are going to be a word of marketing business we are going to be a, a viral marketing tool we're going to be a, a brand that stands for virtually every million out every indian out there millions of them who are traveling on, on trains and buses and flights and so on is there is that who you are fundamentally as people or personalities or is it something that you felt that the company needed to have to withstand all the competition and all these years? I, I think it boils down to two things. One is circumstances, yeah. right? And uh, two is the DNA right? mm -hmm. that, that the team or the individuals had. Uh, so when I say circumstances, right, uh, when we started all the OTAs had raised a lot of money, yeah. right? Uh, in their series A round, most of them had raised 5, 10 million bucks and by the time uh, you know, we were one year old, they had raised their series B round as well. Uh, and we had raised a small seed round of half a million by then, right? Um, so, and, and then the financial crisis came, right? right. So, Lehman Brothers collapsed and all of that. And uh, we were like literally uh, down to the last month of uh, of cash. And, and, you know, at that point, we had this moment of reckoning where everyone, 
like it was a very small team, right? We all got into a room and said, hey, uh, you know, fight or, or flight, right? So uh, are we done here or are we going to just give it uh, more fight and, and keep going? And I think uh, what we had managed to do was uh, build a small team that believed in the mission so much yeah. that they said uh, there is no way that, you know, a company where you're getting so much organic user love uh, you know, should just uh, shut shop and go home just right. because it ran out of money, right? There must be ways to make this work. I remember there was this young engineer who just stands up and says, uh, I can work without salary for the next six months if that's a problem. And wow. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how will that work? Yeah. So then we found a solution. Actually, everyone was down to uh, less than half of their salary for almost a year. Yeah, in fact, uh, that was the guy who said that, give us some time, we'll get back to you. So okay. they went back, they had a meeting internally. The employees. The yeah, employees. Yeah. Then they came back to us and they said, we have a plan. You don't need to let go of anyone. Sure. We'll all work for half the salary. Wow. That way, you don't need to fire anyone. We gave all of them e yeah. uh, immediately uh, you know, when this thing happened. Uh, we went to a landlord and we said, we are vacating this small office. We are moving to a smaller one. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, what happened? And we said, you know, uh, you don't have money. And he said, you know, pay us what you can. Literally, those were his words. He's wow. like, pay us what you can, uh, you know, for the next few months, I'll manage, right? So, we almost for the same duration, we paid lesser rent, just managed to have that uh, fighting spirit to survive. Uh, so, but what that circumstances did is it forced us to think of more ingenuous ways to, yeah. to do things, right? So, here we were trying to compete on marketing with zero dollar marketing budget. So, we were like, you know, what do we do? And then we get into a room saying, what can you do without spending money, right? And we came up with uh, all these techniques, which today, you know, obviously uh, still working at scale, uh, which were things like, hey, how do you leverage word of mouth and promote word of mouth more? Um, how do you build content that goes viral, yeah. right? And in those days, Facebook was a one or two year old business, right? Uh, but we were one of the first platforms to start leveraging it really to uh, make content go viral. Um, and then we were like, uh, you know, SEO, which a lot of companies didn't pay a lot of attention to back then. We said, you know, if you rank well on Google, you know, you can get a lot of traffic for free. So I remember, I mean, uh, I used to actually spend hours a day sitting with uh, people saying, how can we rank better on Google for these queries? Because, you know, if we crack that yeah. um, and, and more art than science, actually, <laughs> then you can actually get a lot of traffic for free. And, and I think the... The thing we really did right was that the product and tech guys really created something that people loved, right? Yeah. So, so I think we've we've been able to consistently understand what consumers want yeah. and and move in that direction, right? And if you remain static, assuming this is what they want, you know, beyond the point you become irrelevant. But over the journey, we've sort of every time figured out uh, what do they want tomorrow, right? And can we start building it today? Yeah. Um, so that's that's how we. So I think circumstances and ingenuity, right? So yeah, being able to find a way out. Got it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, like more companies died because of overfunding than yeah, underfunding, absolutely. right? So when you have your back against the wall, you don't have an option, and you need to figure out ways of, uh, you know, uh, recovering from that. Absolutely. And you know, for us, like one thing that these hardships taught us is that, you know, it made us a lot more resilient. Mm -hmm. And resilience is is one of the things in our DNA as a company as well. What we have figured out is that it brings people together. So when, you know, in times of crisis, you know, people take it as a challenge. It brings them together and, you know, they want to fight it back. And you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. They always come back stronger at the other end. 
and the other thing that we have realized is that again those hardships taught us like back then we had no idea we just knew that if you just be transparent when it comes to exchanging information that's the best thing that works so we you would never hide anything and that's the moment when everyone can and thinks like an entrepreneur which is exactly best spot to be in for for anything. exactly because then you don't need to do anything you know there are no sticks there are no carrots exactly. there are no processes there are no managers required there are no, there are no managers nothing there are no policy then everyone's just taking care it, of themselves. it in fact reflected in our culture because I still remember we never had a product manager till about three years ago. Are you serious? No, I don't believe that. Honestly, three years back. Till really? three years back, we had no product managers because every engineer was a product guy. Wow, that they, is They would think like every engineer was a customer support guy. Very every nice. engineer was a designer. Every that engineer is was. Commendable. So that is commendable. I think that's one of the things about our culture. Like we kind of uh, created this culture of full stack thinking. Yeah. You know, even if you are not completely full stack, you can still think about at, at least the adjacent functions. Yeah. That makes that gives you a holistic view on things, and you know you're you're able to get the big picture and, and do do way better than you were yeah. doing with your. No, you I'm know. going to lift this up. So full stack thinking rather than full stack skills, because full stack skills may be a personal choice, yeah. but every human is capable of full stack thinking. Absolutely. And if you can create a culture that encourages that, then that is fantastic. One question on this is like. As I hear you guys, it seems like a lot of what good has happened at Exico has been the culture, which may have been serendipitous because of the circumstances you were in, and of course the DNA and the personality and how people reacted. Do you also feel that if, just hypothetically thinking, and maybe a hard one to answer, if things were not growing as well as you were witnessing? Um, do you, for an entrepreneur who's in the middle of this chaos, still recommend that don't give up? Like, at what point of time do you come face to face with the reality, and how do you even start to measure reality? Because everyone, we're all entrepreneurs. I, I think that it's a very good question, right? Uh, because you know, when you start the company, you uh, you believe in you know what you're building so much that you are blinded, literally blinded by it, right? And you're not looking at data; you're looking at this unshakable belief that yes. this is going to work, right? Which is great, right? Because that makes you create, uh, you know, in that zero to one phase. Right? Um, but, you know, at moments of these uh, reckonings that we've had, not one, but several along the journey, I think you have to go back and see what is working. We have been uh, through a phase. Uh, I mean, see, we are terrible at killing products. <laughs> We are terrible, terrible at that. Most entrepreneurs are. Most right? entrepreneurs so, are because we right. think we are superhuman and we can do everything. Yeah. Achha, bhi hai. I can do this as well. I can do this as well. Haan, I can do this. If they can do it, I can also do it. Right. So, um, you know, we, we had that attitude all the time. And I mean, it's still hard to kind of let go of that, to be honest. But uh, in the process, we figured out that, you know, we were actually trying to build multiple companies in every vertical inside and we started looking outside you that's when you see that you know it's not always about MVP right sometimes it's about minimum lovable product right <laughs> not just minimum viable product so uh, you know that's when we figured out when we and it pained us because we are very obsessed with customer experience right so it pained us to see that there was another guy doing only one thing and doing it so well that you know it would it would actually demotivate the team so the downside was of having a demotivated team build and maintain a shitty product. Nobody wants to be in that situation. 
So, you know, we took that call, we learned it the hard way, really, really hard way. Yeah. It took us a while to take that call and shut the product down, but we did it. Yeah, and, and when that happened, was it because you had the confidence that other products were working or you knew that this product has to shut down because it's not working? So, there are multiple scenarios. So one is that you buy it more than you can chew. Okay. You know this works, you just don't have the time and priority to do that. And you don't need have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And you have to acknowledge that, right? The second is that it's uncharted territory, yeah. right? in which case you don't know about it. But the thing is that this recklessness, uh, the young and reckless attitude which you have when you just start, it kind of changes over time. And you know, you start becoming a little more data driven as, uh, as founders. And that also is a downside because then you're not really uh, taking a risk, a blind risk. And, and that's what changes over time, which makes us say that, no, this is not going to work. Right. Let's shut it down. Although, you know, it does take a lot of uh, courage to do that because you still have people internally who are aligned and who feel that it can work. But, you know, everything is true or false in, in hindsight. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. It has to be an emotionless decision. It has to be. It has to be. So you spoke about 2013 when you began to see that inflection where trains could possibly be a good category to expand into while you're already dabbled into that but cheapness if I would call a smartphones and then of course Geo coming in and changing it and internet evolution. At that point of time I, I imagine but and correct me if I'm wrong you may have had choices of either expanding horizontally which is hey you're doing flights while well, you're doing other things as well let's just go into trains which is a much larger segment or maybe you could have had options of going international Maybe you could have options of going into other markets. How did you really go about choosing this? Because this is not now a new company where you could take enough risk. So I'll roll back again to 2008, right? You're left with no money and you have to find ways to grow. Yeah. Uh, so we tried almost all of these things, right? Uh, like Rajneesh was saying, you know, uh, maybe we were doing too much. So we went international, we launched in Europe, a market that we knew. Oh, is it? We lived yeah, because there. I imagine. We yeah. launched like five geographies in Europe. In different languages. Huh? When was this? No idea. Nobody knows about it. Knows about it. <laughs> wow. So it was just on the staging servers. In five. <laughs> no, it was in production in for five a few languages. Years. Yeah. Five, five languages. languages. Wow. Germany, okay. France, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and we launched a train section on web, even though it was desktop era. Sure. We launched a train section on web, and the reason we did it is that because of this SEO growth hacking that we we started yeah. to do, we yeah. realized that there was a far bigger amount of traffic that was out there searching for trains even with that small internet base than there was for flights right and even today if you look at you know 400,000 people travel on flights every day and there's like 26 million people take a train every day right so the order of magnitude has always been there right it was even more stark back then so we were like you know if you're building a travel company and you're not catering for how people actually travel which is actually train Right, then you're not building a travel company, right? So that realization dawned, we launched trains on web. On web, it quickly grew to almost half of our traffic by the time mobile came. And then as soon as mobile came, it started growing even faster. So it was also backed by a little bit of data, but yeah. then the intuition said that, hey, nobody's trying to solve for the train traveler first, right? Because then, and why is the assumption that if uh, in the Western world of flight first OTA is how you build the business, that's what will work in India. Why shouldn't we challenge that assumption and try to think with a train first hat? So that's how we started thinking about the problem. And then we, when we talk to people who travel on trains, fortunately, both of us come from uh, smaller towns, each from Patna and from Lucknow. And we've traveled in trains okay. quite, quite yeah. a lot to empathize with 
you know what the problems are and the problems perennially were uh, don't know where the train is don't know how late it is don't know which platform it will come on get on the uh, train wake up in the morning the train is at the same place <laughs> those sort of uh, things we have been through i want so. i want to be reminded uh, because i'll miss the station it comes at 3 am exactly, so you know yeah. these basic pain areas that existed for eternity right even uh, booking a ticket was a pain uh, but you know that was for us that was a solved problem because we knew that irctc was there you could still book it but when we looked at all these other pain areas you were like you know who's going to solve for that the product experience of traveling in a train totally broken totally broken totally broken so, so that was the insight with which we started building nice. that app. and actually it was more than just that the insight was there for a long time one fine day uh, you know rajneesh and a couple of developers say uh hey it's been a while we've been toying with this idea why don't we get into a room and come out with something right? so we literally locked ourselves up i still remember it was entire january 45 days january december bit of december and january right so it was me and three more guys and we said that you know we looked at apps as an ecosystem and say apps is a different beast yeah. it's not like web sure right so app is like a use case every app is a use case yeah. so we said let's think of different use cases so everybody you know we we thought of use case and everybody picked a use case so first 15 days we learned android because nobody had any idea what android was and then the next 30 days all of us ended up building one app each wow okay and uh, so the app that so all of them died out died down yeah. except uh, except uh, except one app which was uh, basically what what that app did was it was so actually very nifty it was a small app all it did was could read sms uh, travel related sure. only obviously just being <laughs> privacy conscious here yeah. uh, and it would convert them into trips okay. and then it would start tracking them automatically so what would happen is somebody would install the app he has never opened the app yeah. one fine day he gets a notification which says train ticket is confirmed yeah. or he would get a notification which says uh, your web check in is open now yeah. Okay, and you tap there, and it directly takes you to you know the seat selection page of the yes. airline. Yes. And people like, wow, this app is like for the first time there was an app that you didn't have to use. Yeah, it was preemptive, exactly. right? So it became runaway success. Nice. It became runaway success. But then after that, it started growing. There was another internal conflict inside the organization, uh, which is that we know that this is not going to make any money for us. <laughs> on the other hand i have a business yeah. but i'm making good money yeah. which is flights hotel side yeah. of the business but on this side i'm not making any money so internally even an engineers are smart they understand that so it would be very hard for people to be aligned with a product which is not making the company any money they would feel a little bit worthless yeah. you know uh, you know what's my use in the company if i'm yeah. not building something which is giving me any value yeah. so it was a hard call but you know that is where the culture of innovation came in we said that you know it's not always about making money it's about taking longer term bets so innovation is solving problems which have very low roi in the short term but very high roi in the long term like because all the high roi uh, short term high roi problems will always be at the top of the roadmap of any company and all the longer terms would be at the bottom which means they'll never ever get implemented right Uh, and it takes a lot of guts and courage as an organization to kind of align disproportionate amount of resources to build something like that just because you see you know 5 years down the line people will be talking about next billion users yeah. wow who would have thought who yeah. would have thought right yeah. 
So, you know, that's the call we took in 2013 that will go out to the bottom of the pyramid now because it's a problem to be solved. Right. And, and at that point of time, did you feel that the other verticals were beginning to get a dis be beginning to become a distraction, or were you like, no, so, these are the ones that are fueling the cash? So, so for a while, you know, we were in this phase where uh, you know flights was driving most of our revenue, yeah. whereas trains was driving most of our traffic growth, Correct. right? And uh, finding a balance between the two. Uh, was a topic of constant debate, <laughs> saying, you know, where should we put our resources towards, etc. But I think one thing both of us sort of fundamentally believed in was that uh, flights uh, was an opportunity where, you know, from a competition standpoint, from a uh, long-term growth standpoint, uh, though it was exciting, uh, you know, if you look at the number of uh, flight passengers that would still be taking flights 10 years down the line and you compared it with trains, Trains would still be in order of magnitude bigger, right? And then you're like, you know, can I solve for actually a larger set of users yeah. uh, and then leverage that in the future to maybe even sell more flights? Yeah. Because imagine uh, last year, you know, India added uh, roughly around 15 million new flyers, right? Uh, where did they come from? There were people yeah. who were taking trains, trains till, till a year before, right? right? Uh, so when we thought about where will we monetize in the future, we were clear that, you know, perhaps someday we'll be able to sell more things to these people. But for, for that moment, we didn't care, honestly, and we never yeah. spent too much time worrying about it. Right. We just said, can we solve the immediate problem so that people who like it, uh, you know, start fall in love with this app. In this entire journey of 12 years, you've clearly made some really hard calls, you've gone through hard times, you still are at it and of course you're doing commendably well now. Um, are there, when you reflect back, are there moments where you personally felt like, shit man, maybe game's over. Maybe game's over. Like I, I really don't have the courage to A lot of times. Time. A lot of times. Time. And at that point of time, and, and let's say this wasn't the early days, but after you'd spent considerable time right, and you actually got to scale because that's what I find fascinating about your story is you always, because of the nature of who you are and how you build things, you always had customer love. It may not have translated into business. And that is when the rejection was. So yeah. you've got a product which has product market fit, may not have business market fit. Yeah. Um, at that point in time, what did you tell yourself? Forget telling someone else, but how did you, the two of you, or you individually have those conversations? Look, I think, uh, you know, usually uh, whenever you have a rejection, and you know, when you pitch to a lot of investors and you go to you a lot of customers, you know, that, that thing in an entrepreneur is that you have to always get over it and, and you know, work on the next one, right? Because uh, I think it's an essential entrepreneurial quality that you don't get bogged down by rejection um, and, and keep believing that, you know, uh, because all you need is one person to believe in you, right? And, and, and things fall into place. But beyond the point, you know, and that's how you feel in the early days, but beyond the point, you know, it just boils down to believing in yourself, right? And and that's, you know, I, I think it took us a decade to realize that, but, you know, even, uh, you know, as as late as a, a year or two back, we've gone through those moments where, you know, we're like, is, is, is it game over or, you know, is there... Is there the next big thing that's going to take us to the next orbit? And every time when that happened, we've done the same thing. We've, we've first of all gone and told the team that, look, we're struggling with this, right? 
uh, we got to fix this you know is there a way we can grow faster you know and and usually you know the team has come up with such ingenious ideas uh, you know and 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 that excites us back we are like wow you know i mean like we could not have thought of all these things we can still do to drive even faster growth and, uh, and not just survive but thrive right and then you're like you know why would i be thinking about all these the next day you wake up and you're again you know fighting that battle again and and you know in those in those tough times we sometimes when we look back we feel that you know maybe we should have gone to people earlier asking for help rather than kind of just you know keeping it to we ourselves were just surprised at how because we help came here yes yeah. we were just surprised that you know the moment we opened up and we said this is the problem people were like you know hey yes of course we are here to help right and they would solve our problem and you know in hindsight we always think we should kind of just just ask just ask just ask, just ask. fantastic great you guys are working with now chinese investors right? and then of course it is a really large company of course a strategic one so it has its uh, at the right place have, have things changed considerably after after that funding for good or for bad so so i think uh, look we've been very lucky when it comes to investors and i think most of the time it took us longer and harder to raise around than we imagined it would but every time we ended up finding uh, you know the highest quality of investors so whether it's safe or secure or so soon uh, you know we think that we have uh, the right level of support and the uh, the, the best people on the board to be honest uh, you know people who have actually built uh, companies from scratch to ipo and yeah. uh, not just one but several of them sure. and i think my my two cents on this will be uh, you know it doesn't matter where the capital really comes from mm-hmm. what boils down to is the individual on the board right and yeah if your relationship <coughs> with that individual and your ability to work with that individual uh, to grow your business uh, is there you know you can leverage the most out of it and and uh, one of the things which affects the relationship is obviously the trust yeah. and you know like we said uh, bad news needs to fa- travel faster than good news it works both upstream and downstream absolutely so in both directions yeah couldn't couldn't be true and i think that's a big takeaway for, for from this conversation for entrepreneurs wonderful <laughs> on that note thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you for being so honest and being so transparent because i think your learnings are very very critical in a world where there's just so much entrepreneurship born that people think that this is like the coolest thing to do and the sexiest profession to have but what it takes is just intense grit and and no one symbolizes that better than the two of you so thanks thank you, thank you thank you thank you for being our host thanks a lot and with that we come to the end of yet another episode of building it up with businessman india's first first growth focus podcast i am your host ankur variku and i'm signing off hope to see you again on the next episode in the meantime please do not forget to subscribe on itunes spotify savan and catch the video format on facebook youtube and wherever else we are present until next time i'm your host ankur variku signing off bye